people get attached to like rocks, pet rocks. You know what I mean? Like you take somebody's pet rock and chunk it out the window. Like they're not going to let that go easily. <laughs> and then the rock comes back with a vengeance, uh, AKA Dwayne Johnson in the rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I think I just found the perfect role for him. Playing a literal rock. <laughs> What's up, guys? My name is Kenneth Jackson, and of course, I'm joined by my esteemed co-host and good friend, Trey Riley. Hello, Trey. Hello, and welcome. And welcome. We're, we're joining you in this smoky cabaret this evening for a lovely little movie that we, me, myself, and Trey both really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, this is a film that me and Trey, we both enjoy a lot. It's very, we'll, we'll get into it deeper, but it's very aesthetically pleasing. It's Blade Runner 2049 we're talking about today, and I've got a lot of stuff I want to say about it. Do you have a lot of stuff you want to say about it, Trey? Got a fair amount. Nice. We'll be right back to the Blade Runner 2049 review, but first, here's what's in the news. Most commonly known for his role as James Bond, Pierce Brosnan has been tapped to join the cast of Black Adam as Dr. Fate. Black Adam, of course, stars Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam and looks to be jumping in a production suit. Spiral from the Book of Saw is the ninth installment in the Saw horror franchise, which will be opening in theaters one week earlier than originally anticipated on March 14th. And lastly, in the news, Jessica Walter... A comedic genius passed away at the age of 80. Known mainly for roles in things like Arrested Development and Archer, she will greatly be missed. That's what's in the news this week, and back to the episode. I'm coming at it from a standpoint that many of you will probably immediately hate me for, but Mm. I have not seen the original. (coughs) But... I think that is important to this review because without having seen the original, I still love this movie immensely and have so many things that I take away from it that I want to get into, even though I don't have all the knowledge about the original and see a replicant as he not. Some of these Easter eggs that I've seen videos on, I think it's a lovely film and Coming out 35 years after the original, I think it is an excellent sequel. Yeah, whenever I first saw the uh, original, you know, I saw the original because a lot of people were like, if you're a fan of sci-fi, you have to watch this. And now that I've watched it, I do agree. I do agree that you have to watch the original just to get the aesthetic and just the the world, I think, to understand it a little bit better. Now, you being a uh, freshie, (coughs) excuse me, (laughs) watching the second one first, 
I think is fine. There is a lot that people who have watched the series before will enjoy about it and know a lot more about. But as someone going into it fresh, I think it's still a good watch. Now, I'm going to mention this later. Maybe the commitment is not there for the entire two hours and 45 minutes that this movie is. Mm -hmm. But it's still very nice as a viewer. Very aesthetically pleasing, sonically fantastic, and just emotionally amazing. Yeah, having come out in 2017, a year of many great films that I call back to frequently, following up on the original that was released in 1982, this movie, I assume, was in the making for some time. As we all know, Ridley Scott directed the first one, and he came on board as the EP for the sequel, bringing on our boy Denis Villeneuve mm-hmm. to direct this one, and again bringing back Harrison Ford, reprising his role as Deckard, and then introducing the new kid on the block, our favorite and the lovely Ryan Gasling with all his beauty and glowingness and excellent staring off into nowhere looks. Yes. Saying very little, but still saying a lot. Yes. It's the eyes. I mean, that's all it is. It's all in the eyes. Those baby blues, you can't <laughs> you can't look away from them. And of course, we've got the legend Roger Deakins as the DP on this project. Mm-hmm. Every single second is just gorgeously captured and we're going to get into all of that but i did want to point out that this movie is pretty well received by most people even compared to the original mm-hmm. it has a 88 percent fresh versus 90 with the original audience scores down a little bit at 81 percent versus 91 with the original mm-hmm and in comparison to the original, it actually made a pretty good bit of money, although probably not near as much as they would like yeah. with their $150 million budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is one of those sore spots that if you enjoy Blade Runner and you understand that every single person that watched it enjoyed it and yet it still didn't make <laughs> that much money, it's uh, it's kind of baffling. Although many people enjoyed this film, it was only the diehard fans that really came back to the film, honestly. And that sat through the entire two hours and 45 minutes of it. And those were the people that it was marketed towards, honestly. So I think it was more of a like niche that if you were in the niche, you liked it. <laughs> but if you were outside the niche, you're kind of like, what's, what's this? <laughs> Why do I want to go see that? It doesn't have, you know, all the explosions and... What is it called? Pageantry of the bigger box office hits, you know? Blockbuster type thing. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. I've watched a video on this, so I think I'm a professional on the subject on why it didn't do so well. <laughs> That's it. That pretty much was it, is that you take this very niche film and then you release it and you do have these big names on there. All right. You got my boy, Ryan Gosling. Harrison Ford, Jared Leto, mm-hmm. and many others. You got Batista in there. Yeah. All right. That first scene. You got him in the film for a solid 10 minutes. Yeah, so you have a lot of big players. You have a very well shot film. You have an amazing soundtrack. 
color wise this film is gorgeous honestly if i said what type of aesthetic do i like in a film i'd probably pick this one yeah <laughs> like i'd probably pick the color palette of a lot of these films and if you follow any color palette instagram account you're gonna run across this one yeah for sure so yeah it's an amazing film it's shot amazingly but here's the thing it's very slow. <laughs> yes. It is very, very slow to the point to where you can go 10 minutes without hearing dialogue mm-hmm. in this film. Now, those 10 minutes are fantastic, <laughs> like world building minutes, you know, rich. Every shot is fantastic. Like you said about Roger Deakins, every shot's fantastic, but it's also very slow. So a lot of people who are not used to the series and don't know what it's about are watching this film like uh, they haven't spoken in like a while. (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. And then even some of the dialogue and they may not understand because you probably don't know the previous film. Right. Mm -hmm. And compared to the original, it is an hour longer. So having not seen it, if maybe the pacing is the same as the original, I don't know if it is or isn't, tack on an hour to that. Now you're trying to really use the world, the visuals, subtle cues, music, all these other elements to really drive the story as opposed to dialogue or action. And despite it being put in a category of action, like you mentioned, yeah, it doesn't ultimately have that much there's a lot of walking and thinking and exploring type elements but yeah there's not really as much action as you might be led to believe Mm -hmm. perhaps even from the trailer which maybe that was something for a person like myself that goes in not really knowing anything could be let down by i'm not in that camp but i could see where people would be yeah and i mean When it comes to the commitment to replicants and that whole idea behind replicants and even the struggle that Kay, Ryan Gosling's character, goes through is it probably doesn't mean as much if you don't understand replicants itself. Like, if you watched the first one and you probably know the monologue but the monologue by rucker hauer in the original movie you probably heard of it it's pretty famous Mm -hmm. and rightfully so rucker hauer does a fantastic job but it's like starships off of the belt of orion i believe is the name of it but what he talks about in that little monologue that he has is kind of what is represented in this film in my opinion like what he talks about is you know replicants are like expendable you know like they're just looked down on mm-hmm. they're seen as expendable and that you know if they just are are retired or just stopped existing like people believe it would be a better place you know what i mean yeah and so k throughout the film has this question and you see it in the first 15 to 20 minutes of this film 
is he's being called a Skinner. <laughs> you know, he's he's being called all these names because he's a replicant and people don't want him. He's a misfit and he's hunting down his own kind. Right. Mm -hmm. And so although he is an android throughout the film, it's strange because you think of K towards the end of the film as a human. Yeah, very much so. You're questioning whether K is actually a human, you know? And you see these bits and bouts of emotion that point to that. Mm -hmm. That point to him being a human. And I think that's a big question throughout the film is like, do I even need to exist? Do I have a purpose? You know? Yeah, that's huge. It's like, and you're watching this, you know, being who shouldn't have a purpose, try and find its purpose. And I think that's where a lot of the emotion comes from. Yeah. I think this might be a good point to talk about the generations of replicants. Mm -hmm. I know up to the point in this film, there's some number of revisions of replicants that have been produced. Mm -hmm. And obviously, as you mentioned, K is one of the most advanced, newest replicants who is, I mean, if you could be human and be a robot, yeah. like that's K. And I think that's the ninth generation replicant, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And so in the first film, I believe we're on six. Mm -hmm. Yes, six. And they have some exacting lifespan. They fail the test because they don't have a lot of life to draw on mm -hmm. to really have experiences to feel more human. Yeah. It's like that four years and like that's it, done. Mm -hmm. And then you get to seven which I believe, or at least some people, theorize was who Rachel's character was. Yeah. That she was a seventh gen, maybe the only seventh gen, and obviously the only one to have a human birth. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially. So, like, like, oh, that's leading up into this film. Yeah. Again, having not seen it, I didn't know hardly any of this going in. Mm -hmm. But it makes it really interesting on the back end to watch jump back and do a little research. And still, I've not seen the original film, but to have these little Easter eggs going in, even when I've rewatched 2049, it's been pretty interesting to see how jump forward 30 years from the original story, we are picking back up and things have still progressed. And still, we're battling, like you mentioned, this idea of what is it to be human, yeah. to have emotions, to feel love, mm -hmm. embrace people, like all the things that we just naturally go about doing. Mm -hmm. It's like the prime theme of this whole movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of a, a beautiful thing to think about that we often don't. And <laughs> maybe you don't want to think about it for two hours and 45 minutes, but... right. I found it quite lovely. Yeah, I mean, I think that if you've watched the original, or not even watched, but uh, I listened to the original book by Philip K. Dick. Mm -hmm. What's the name of that? Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? 
is the name of it. What a great name. I know. And it's like the title itself is very philosophical. Very much. And it brings up that question of, do androids have dreams, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, do androids, can they be like us, where they have dreams and they actually could want and desire things rather than just be told and do what they're told, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you listen to the book and even watching this film, like I said, I was I was like, I can't tell. Like, I'm like, no, he's a replicant, but yet he's having emotions. And then you already know our stance on spoiler alerts. So I'm about to drop the biggest spoiler, which is out of pure reasoning of me making this point. But like when you get to the end, you're kind of like, yo, there's no doubt he's got to be the son you know, and he desperately wants to be the son. He desperately wants to have meaning to his life. Mm-hmm. And then turns out it's not. Turns out it's the girl that was kept inside the cage and pretty much is a memory weaver. And Kay just lays back and sails off into that electronic dreamland <laughs> in the sky. So. I mean, that's the. That's the premise for the whole story is Kay is trying to unearth his origin, Mm -hmm. essentially. He is following all these trails that go back to Rachel, but then come up empty for him. And so, I mean, if you think about what your reaction would be as a human, Mm -hmm. if something like that were to happen, you're trying to find where you come from and what your family might be. Yeah. To only then realize you might never know. Yeah. Or you will never know. It could be a definite thing. Yeah. And man, that's that's heavy. And so you even get that with him, despite not being fully human. There's just something there with that. And I think in the world today, if you want to parallel it, we are always talking about Android technology, yeah, AI, you know, artificial learning, all these different things that are in some ways very interesting and also kind of creepy and scary at times. Yeah. We're having these types of thoughts, like a general question, do robots have feelings? Mm-hmm. If you tell it, it does. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, if you say program it to say yes i have feelings it'll say i have feelings but i've seen it more and more in movies where they actually do yeah like it is a learned thing they are somehow programmed to adapt like we are to morph and go between happy sad angry aggressive calm like that's not far off in a lot of films obviously this one tells you when it's set right in the the title of the movie 2049 but Mm -hmm. you know we've seen all those types of movies you've got things like passengers perhaps where the whole ship is like this intelligent being Mm -hmm. you've got movies like well when i saw it semi-recently it was called love and monsters or something Mm. like that with dylan o'brien okay there's android 
tech in there as well that can kind of help support you. It can be your shoulder to cry on type of thing yeah. and that's used in the movie. Also, her. Her, yeah. Great example. It feels very, like, today. Like It feels like that could happen right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I think that... It's very, it's a movie that gets you thinking. And I think that's why Denis, I think that's why he went the way he did with it was because it's a man, quotation marks, man searching for his meaning in the world and like trying to figure out, do I actually matter? And that's going back to what you were talking about with, you know, seeing more and more of these androids being like sentient beings or whatever. It's not hard to imagine that that is our future is one where we're like, we're seeing androids walk around and, you know, someone will just be like, ha ha ha, knocks it over, breaks it, right? Tears off its arm or something like that because it's like, oh, it doesn't have feelings. It doesn't matter. But like, people get attached to like rocks, pet rocks. You know what I mean? Like, you take somebody's pet rock and chunk it out the window, like they're not going to let that go easily. (laughs) And then the rock comes back with a vengeance. Uh, A.K.A. Dwayne Johnson in The Rock. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I think I just found the perfect role for him. Playing a literal rock. <laughs> it's just he's voicing a rock that's animated. And like this girl keeps him as a pet. And then, you know, someone just takes him and throws him out the window. And he lands in like a garbage truck and then takes him all the way to California. And he needs to find his way back to his owner. There we go. That's the next blockbuster. Let's pitch it. Let's pitch it. But yeah, people get attached to that sort of stuff. And like, here's the thing. Many people, and this, it's different because it's a sentient being, but animals, right? If you were to hurt an animal, people would think you were the worst human being ever. You hurt a human, people are like, well, they probably deserved it. (laughs) Yeah, they asked the question, did they deserve it or not? Yeah, I don't do that with animals generally. And so when you think about that in the case of androids, an android just exists to do what it was told. But people are fine throwing it out, calling it names, doing all this stuff. And I can see that possibly happening in this world. It's like you just have this android or something like that. And people just like these androids, people just like talk trash to and like, break and do all this other stuff because they're like oh they don't matter Mm -hmm. they're like they don't feel pain they don't matter you know and so i think that's it's a tangent but it gets back to the point about k where k is like desperately wanting a reason to be special he wants to be special i think that is the biggest driver of him as a character in this film is he wants to be special and now if you think about ai artificial intelligence That's another film where AI, a robot, simulates emotion Mm -hmm. and pretty much has the appearance of having emotion, crying, loving, right? Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because it doesn't understand all these other things that are going on to it. And... That's what's so heartbreaking about it. And that's what's so heartbreaking about Kay when he finds out that it's not him. He's not the one that's special. And, you know, that makes you question, like, what if he did find that out on those steps? Do you think he would have had the strength to go on? Do you think he just laid back and 
let himself sail off into that robotic afterlife, you know? I'm like, I'm wondering mm. what that could have been like. Yeah. If if he had actually thought that it was him. If he if Harrison Ford Deckard said, you know what, it is you. You know? That makes me think about a lot of things. So as far as sentient beings and like empathy towards them, I think this film does a fantastic job of that. And we we pretty much have been on the storyline, but I think the storyline is not one for the faint of hearts in the fact that it takes a long time for it to expose. And it's not going to expose in the whole first 30 minutes through like forced like voiceovers, mm -hmm. you know, it's a slow burn. So, and I think this film is beautiful for that because it's not for the faint of heart. This is for the cinematographer slash film lover slash actor slash uh, story writer, right? Director, all of this stuff. This is the film for them because it's, it's all of those wrapped in one, which are fantastic, but it is very slow and it's long. And a lot of people think that and like, People are like, the only movie I'm sitting down two and a half hours and longer is for like Titanic. Or every Marvel movie. Or every Marvel movie. People, I don't know why, I just absorb into those and be sitting there for four hours. But Yep. So my experience watching this movie the first time, I don't know if everyone listening is aware of Dolby Cinema, but it's a format kind of like IMAX that AMC theaters have. And part of the appeal is that the sound is like the best you'll ever hear. Like, in my opinion, it's better than IMAX because it's more immersive. It's not just loud. It feels like you're sitting inside the world. Mm. And so I saw this movie in that type of theater, and when it opens... There's this low rumble mm -hmm. for a straight, like, five minutes. Yeah. And one of the things that happens in these theaters with low, like, bass notes is the seats will rattle. Yeah. So you're, like, getting a massage for five minutes because, <laughs> like, it's just thumping. Like, you know, we're flying through L.A. It's a lot of exploration, and then it gets to the scene that I've come to find out is a deleted scene from the original, and that's the one where he goes to the farm. He meets Dave Bautista's character, mm. and it's, like, literal, like, the only difference is that that scene in the original was Deckard doing this. Yeah. And now it's Kay doing the same thing, and they have this fight, and then he kills Dave Bautista's character before then going out to find the bones buried under the tree or, you know, the remnants, mm -hmm. which kind of starts his journey into the whole movie. Yeah. But again, there's maybe one sentence in that. I think Dave Bautista's character asks if he wants soup mm -hmm. or something like that, and then they get into a fight and he gets killed. So there's that whole long span. All you have is music, sound design, action, and dissipation no no dialogue yeah like it's a bizarre case where that works perfectly mm -hmm. and i don't think that 
anymore needed to be said. I didn't feel left out. Yeah. Not even knowing anything to that point because I hadn't seen the other one. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard for me. And I think this, if I can get on a soapbox for a second, is the problem with people watching movies now. They want to be told everything. They want it to be just sitting right there on a platter. If they can predict it, then like they're there for the movie. Like, come on, bring it on, let's roll. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I like that, but only when I feel lazy. Yeah. Like if I had a long day and I go watch a movie, like I'm probably not going to go watch this movie because yeah. it's not the one for that. But I think the fact that people don't want to actually let their mind wander and to have questions, mm-hmm. like it's okay to leave a movie with questions. Yeah. It doesn't mean that it was poorly made or that any number of things are wrong. It actually probably means the opposite. Yeah. Because it has you thinking beyond that runtime. And for many filmmakers, that's like an achievement. Like if you can do that, you know, A plus, you did something. Yeah. And so the original film did this for over, well, about 35 years before this one. People were still asking that one question. Is Deckard a human or a replicant? Yeah. Like it's always there. And we're not going to solve that in this podcast, and no one's going to solve it in the next one because no one knows. Yeah. There's two different pools and for different reasons. So yeah, I think that's the beauty of this movie in a sense is that it might create another set of questions for 30 more years. Yeah, I, I think that is very true. Like in the book, Deckard... He questions whether he is an android. He's and he's so convinced he's not. But then he's like, "Am I just telling myself that? Was I programmed to think that?" You know. And then mm-hmm. like they they mess with him to the point to where he calls the police station and is like, "Hey, I need to get in contact with this person." And they're like, "Hey, we don't know who you are, and that person doesn't work here." And so like he's he's like, "Wait." what and so he starts questioning himself and like losing his faith in who he like whether he was a replicant or not and he starts wondering like what he should do and so like that whole entire question i think abounds in this entire series like this entire blade runner series and yeah i think that this film like when it comes to questioning it's it's a huge one and like to talk about what you were talking about going from very quiet to action back to a resolution really quick like most of the action in this film is very fast Mm -hmm. and then it's over and then it's like 10 more minutes of quiet contemplation slash music slash ambiance you know and it happens quite a bit but that's the thing is that it's not like many other movies where it's like cut, 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 cut to like action, action, action. Right. And that's why I think I agree is that this is not a film where you just go and hang out. Right. You're not putting this on in the background. You might if it just happens to be on and you own it, <laughs> then you'd be like, heck, yeah, dude, I'll have it on repeat, which I probably would. Yeah. First time watch. I highly doubt anyone's doing that or that would just be disrespectful and shame on you for doing it yeah 
but it's it's a film that you have to invest a lot into and that is why i think it kind of didn't do so well at box office but this film it's beautiful yeah if you love synthwave if you love cyberpunk if you love all that stuff this is the film for you because it gives you all those color palettes that you just see in your dreams and I, I love every bit of it. Yeah. And then Roger Deakins, of course, does a fantastic job with every single shot where when it's the symmetry, whether it's just the style of shot, like depending on the angle that he's shooting at, I think it just captures everything perfectly. And I'm just gushing about the film at this point. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just that good. Like, I, I, I love it. Like, it's just... yeah. It's a fantastic film that I think is only respected by those who are giving it the time it needs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think talking about the look of the film and the cinematography, the color palette, yeah, all these different things, there's the widest range you can have. It's got every color that's been created in the film. Mm-hmm. Again, jumping back to the beginning. Very dirty. It's very gray, muted. A lot of shades of white, gray, blacks. Like it's a grimy sort of look. You progress on from there. You eventually end up in this beautiful like night scene with neon colors like blues and pinks and reds and all these vibrant colors like this Mm -hmm. nightlife is bustling in this city and moving on from there you end up in a desert type sandstorm looking Mm -hmm. las vegas sort of setup and i mean that scene in particular i want to come back to because it's just some of the most beautiful images you'll ever see yeah and so in there you've got these oranges and reds and yellows just really like feels like Mars. And then by the end of it, you're in this snow covered landscape and that's where we're left there with K on the steps. But mm-hmm. everywhere in between there, there's all the different types of ecosystems <laughs> essentially yeah. that exist. There's even when we see the woman that he finally gets to, the girl that he interacts with there near the end, she's in like this ecosystem, like a dome sort of thing that mm-hmm. is like this beautiful forest. And so there's like this whole element of life and abundance and living and growth mm-hmm. that kind of is symbolic with that versus like the outside world, which is even though it's very wide gamut of colors it's mostly dead yeah like nothing is really thriving except perhaps technology as far as the humans and living is concerned there is this great dichotomy between the world that we're in most of the time versus here at the end Mm -hmm. where we see almost like a garden of eden type of setup Mm -hmm. like a new beginning in a way and it's all seen through this glass that we can't get through even. Yeah. 
I think, puts his hand up there on the window, and there's this beautiful moment with them interacting. But, yeah, I, I think you pair all that with these elaborate sets, and they built a lot of miniatures and really just everything from what I've heard on the Roger Deakins podcast when he talks about this movie. It was all an experiment. They had no idea what they were doing. Mm -hmm. None of this stuff existed. They put different new tech together. They built these really beautiful, symmetrical sets for like when he meets with Jerry Leto's character, for instance. Yeah. And that like part of the facility mm -hmm. where they create the replicants. Gorgeous, you know, coming down those stairs and you've got the like people on either side, like the kind of embryo type yeah. preserved humans in the cases. Like I could go on and on. Mm -hmm. It's just a sensory overload. And that's probably how you feel hearing me talk about it right now because yeah. I'm just fire hose feeding it to you. But that is how at times this movie feels. It's just like, yeah, I can't take all this in right now. Like I need to watch it again. Sometimes... You're like, I don't even notice I'm taking some stuff in. Sometimes you're like, wait, what? Hold mm -hmm. on. Wait, wait, what? <laughs> you know, like if you're in the theater, like, which no, it's not sadly, but it needs to have another run. If you were in the theater, you'd be like, wait, put that back. Sadly, yes, you can go back now and rewatch stuff like to be able to rewind it. But like at times it can be a little bit like, wait, what does that mean? wait, did I just miss something? And there's a lot of little clues in here as well that are kind of Easter eggs for diehard fans. Yeah. Like Las Vegas, going out to Las Vegas and seeing the wasteland and everything. If you've read the book, you'd be like, that's very reminiscent of the book. You know, Deckard in the book travels out and flies far away from the city. Far away. And pretty much stops and just sits there and there's like this gas that slowly starts to eat away at him but he's just standing there and he's taking it all in and he finally decides to get back after that but it's a very heart-wrenching like moment where he just goes out into the wasteland and you can like if you're a fan of the film you probably or a fan of the book you probably notice that in the film as well you know mm -hmm. uh, I don't think that's something that is explored too much in the original movie. I kind of still have fuzzy memories, but I don't think there's any moment like that. But this film does include it, which is uh, going out to Las Vegas and seeing all those monuments and statues in the desert of this once metropolis to sin, you know? Mm -hmm. How about that interaction he has with the bees? Yep. When he's walking before he meets with Deckard, I found something on that because Villeneuve was worried that people would be like, well, how the freak are these bees alive out here? Mm -hmm. But there's the technology you can see there, mm -hmm. like these bee feeding machines essentially mm -hmm. that are there with the boxes that the bees are coming out of. So it's like every little thing is meticulously thought out. Yeah to invoke a question. Yeah. Like in this wasteland of a world, as far as we know, there's only one thing that's living there, 
or at least there right now, which is Deckard. Now K, because he's searching for him. Yeah. And then you got these bees, a uh, part of wildlife that yeah. you wouldn't think would be alive, much less where they are found. Yeah. So there's just a lot of moments where the idea of nature blending with technology are kind of dropped in and sprinkled throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And if for no other reason, they're kind of like, hmm, moments. And I love when movies do things like that because, again, to have to think about something means that it's affecting your brain. It's causing chemical reactions. like Chemical reactions are happening. Neurons are firing. Yeah, like it's all happening. <laughs> and in a world where we binge watch stuff because we just got home from work, and we're tired and we just want to veg out. To have a transition into a movie like this, whether you watch it when it came out or you watch it tomorrow, it's going to blow your mind. Mm -hmm. And not just from a, oh, that's cool, like sci-fi, just like a human, huh, type of perspective. Like, if that doesn't happen to you, you must have fallen asleep. (laughs) Yeah. And... I think that's a beautiful thing to see in a movie. And so as we head that way, our ratings, you can probably imagine, are going to be a little bit higher than normal. Just a just a wee bit higher, <laughs> you know. It's not, it's, it's, there's no way it's going to be the highest one we've given so far. No way. It's going to be approaching, <laughs> but we will try and let that, save itself till the end i want to talk about the actors in this movie Mm -hmm. so we've talked about ryan gosling and harrison ford's character is a pretty good bit yeah the role i mentioned earlier jared leto's character his name is neander wallace Mm -hmm. i believe that's how you pronounce it and he's kind of the leader or the kind of like an oracle type character yeah in this world and for the company that produces the replicants, which I don't know if the name's ever mentioned. Do you remember if, or maybe from the original, what's this company that produces these? Terrell was the original. Terrell. Okay, yeah. So that's the connection here, I believe. But, you know, with that role, I think it was actually originally meant for someone else, but that person died. Mm-hmm. And then Jay Leto was picked for it. Yeah. But his interaction, him with Harrison Ford, Decker's character, in that like floating water type trans room, like really crazy feelings going on down there. You get the reflection of the water all over the walls. Mm-hmm. It's just like a out of body meditation almost. Like yeah. if you go to counseling in like a synth wave arena like that's the scene essentially yeah and so i really enjoy that scene a lot what are your thoughts on it well that scene is trippy first off jared leto is blind (laughs) yes yes it's creepy already and then having that whole interaction between deckard and 
Rachel. Yep. Like that whole thing mm-hmm. between, you know, Rachel coming out and then I believe it was the assistant that shot Rachel. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Deckard, he's obviously kind of shook, you know, because he's like, this was the love of my life, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he has that hilarious line of, she had blue eyes <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Her eyes were blue. Yeah. Where we find out she wasn't obviously the original. Yeah, that wasn't the original. And so it kind of put a a little damper on Nyander's kind of sick game that he was playing mm-hmm. with uh deckard's emotions so right I, th- I think that scene was trippy just the way that leto played the character and also uh, that whole scenario was just really trippy to me but i did like the aesthetic with the water and that, w- that one was kind of like man my man just hangs out in a like aquatic chamber <laughs> that's exactly what i'm thinking like just some weird connection with ocean-dwelling creatures or something. Mm-hmm. Another, just in terms of character interaction, which must have been difficult, is Anna de Armas. Yep. Like, her character, who, you know, we've talked, we praised her before in our Knives Out review, which you guys should check out after this. Oh, yeah. But the way her character, Joy, is that her character? Yeah. So you got Joy who is essentially a hologram sort of sentient being, I guess, that is part of this world. Yeah. Kind of buy him, I guess, and Mm -hmm. interact with him so you have someone in your life. And so her and Kay, Ryan Gosling's character, they have these beautiful interactions, like the intimacy between them. That one scene specifically on the rooftop mm-hmm. when he's out in the rain and she walks out there and you just have the rain falling down. It's like hitting her light yeah. and like the light's kind of refracting and doing these interesting things. It's like flickering. Yeah. Man, this is like almost an out-of-body experience because mm-hmm. it seems so real. He is literally interacting with light yeah and you feel like he is talking to a woman that he's in love with yeah that is beautiful from just a storytelling perspective but also these two actors being able to portray that despite the fact that one of them knows they're not a real human being is like yeah you go you got this anna (laughs) yeah that i I think she did a fantastic job anna and honestly this was probably one of the first roles i saw anna in yeah although she had been in a few things before this i believe this was like one of those films where she kind of made a break for herself and rightfully so i think she did fantastic it it gave me a lot of like her vibes Mm. from it just because of the interactions and everything. But at the same time, it was, we had uh, a connection with her just as much towards the end when she got stomped out. And the little device that carries her mm-hmm. was stomped. And like, you feel that. Yeah, I was sad. <laughs> You're like, 
you're like, no, dude, you shed a tear for that because the guy's, you know, he's out here trying to find himself, you know, his, his purpose for the world. And you're taking away one thing that he truly cares about, you know? Yeah, something that comforts him. And all he can do is just sit there and watch. It's brutal. I think the last words she says are, I love you, right? Yeah, I believe so. Just, if you never thought you could relate to anything that's not like yourself, mm -hmm. that empathy that we could have for an animal, even, mm -hmm. a robot, you know, something that isn't a person. Yeah. This movie disproves that. Yeah. Like, you're engaged. When she gets destroyed, your heart's hurting. Yeah. And then the immediate reaction, reverse shot, we just see Kay there on the ground and the broken box. Yeah. And then immediately you're like, oh, like you jump back out of it. Like, oh, it, that was all fake. Like she wasn't. Yeah. So it's just a, a real mind. Mind bender, dude. Mind bender there. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. It's confusing. It's frustrating. It's challenging. It's a lot of different things, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It, it's something that really makes this movie special. Mm -hmm. I rate this movie often in my top 10, at least from the 2010s decade. Yeah. It's high up there. And I guess we can transition now into our ratings because it's getting to be about that time. Yeah. Well... To begin my rating, I think I've already stated plenty about what I enjoy about this. I I enjoy this. Is there anything that you don't enjoy before you jump into the rating? We didn't talk about any things we didn't like. Before I jump into the rating, there's not much that I don't like. There's nothing that I inherently dislike about this film, but there's rather probably more preferences. And this is where it just mainly comes down to stuff or mainly comes down to how I perceive things. There's nothing inherently that I don't enjoy about this film. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't think of one thing. I'm, I'm searching through my memory banks. I'm rewatching the film in my <laughs> mind. And you know, I, I'm, I, I looked like Kay did whenever he's looking through the archives and <laughs> I'm not seeing, I'm not seeing much that I don't like. So yeah. if anything, maybe, Maybe pacing, but I think pacing was a good choice because for the lover of the franchise, it does its service. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I would say just out of wishing more people would go watch this and love it as much as I do, it'd be the pacing because I think that keeps a lot of people out of it. Sure. But I would say my rating, I'm fine giving this rating. Is it about to happen? It, it, it's a 10 for me, my good fellow. Oh. I know, fireworks going off. It is a 10 from me, dog. A 10. This is the first 10 in Cinevibes history, ladies and gentlemen. It's a tenner. And this one, I mean, it's well-deserved, honestly, because I would, like, I would watch this every month or so. Yeah. Because of how good it is. Just my style, like, what I love about this style, it's in there. Everything I need. And it is in my genre. Like, sci-fi and just cyberpunk all of those aspects action crime drama 
detective. It's got like a bunch of lore to it. I mean, and it's also philosophical, which I dig. I dig philosophy, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm kind of a philosopher myself. A philosophizer? I philosophize plenty about philosophy. But what is your rating, Trey? Before I give my rating, I have a similar thought that I want more people to watch it. So if they made like a two-hour cut of this movie ever, mm-hmm. I would love to see that. Yeah. But I am on board you could hit me with another 30 minutes even, and I'd be sitting down to watch this. Yeah. I will say, because of that, I can't watch it as frequently as I would like, which is a slight downside. Mm-hmm. But that's just a schedule issue. Yeah. And we didn't even mention the music that much, but you got Benjamin Walfish, who did Dunkirk, I think, same year, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, so just what? Like, how did <laughs> this guy did Dunkirk <laughs> and Blade Runner 2049? Yeah, Hans Zimmer, of course. Mm-hmm. I think he's like gets composer credit in every movie, just by default. It seems like. Yeah. So the soundtrack alone could lead to the rating. I'm gonna give it. Mm-hmm. But factor in all the other aspects: the story, the world, the acting, the direction from Villeneuve, mm-hmm. Roger Deakins, throwing camera, awesome cinema, buttery footage at us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gets a top-notch stamp, right? Like, Oh, it's it's top-notch, top-notch content. It's all the things, but I can't give it a 10. Mm. I've got to save it. I'm only going to give one ever. I respect it. And I'm going to go, for that reason, with a 9. 9. This movie really does it for me. It does it for anyone that appreciates this genre of film Mm -hmm. and maybe it's a small group maybe that's what the box office reflects i'm not sure but i will say it's on hbo max right now and i would highly recommend you spare that two hours 45 minutes and go check this one out because at a minimum it'll leave you with questions oh yeah at a minimum yeah And I can't even delve into how much it would like if you take your time with this film, it'll really it 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 sounds weird, but it will. I'm going to say it'll change your life. Yeah. It's like a fine wine. Yeah. The more you sip, the more it's better with time, the better it gets or an investment. It pays off in the long run. That's right. But with that being said, I want to thank you all so much for listening let us know what you think about this film hopefully you have the same sentiments me and trey have and that we share with it share your comments and whatever you you know you're in love for ryan gosling and anna de armis (laughs) send that to us at cinevibescast at gmail.com love to read all that sort of stuff on insta you can follow us at the cinevibes hit us with your favorite scenes your favorite shots from the film yeah it could be a color palette we always love looking at color palettes and just overall let us know what you thought about the film yeah even if you didn't like it and you're that small group of people that are confused somehow let us know i mean we're open to all comments but it's that time of the episode where we're not gonna beg this time no we're not 
because we're confident in our content and we know for sure that if you're listening to this, you're already subscribed Mm -hmm. or you're going to subscribe as soon as it's over. Oh, yeah. So without a shadow of a doubt, we know you're going to do that. Mm -hmm. And if you need a little help finding where to do that, Mm -hmm. Spotify, perhaps where you're listening now, click the follow. You can jump over to Apple Podcasts, do the same. And Stitcher, fresh on season two, we're on Stitcher. And so you have three options to listen. And on one or all, we would love to see that follow from you and hear what you have to think about all the stuff we've been putting out. And so you get notifications for when new episodes drop and stay up to date with all that we're doing here at Cinevibes. That's right. Again, we both would like to thank you so much for listening. And we're out. Mm-hmm.